Welcome to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And we're trying things a little differently for the today and tomorrow. And let's let's see how this works. Some of you seem to really like it yesterday, so we're gonna try to do things a little different. One of the things I wanted to do all this week, and we'll get back into the kids next week, but I want to open again every morning with Psalms chapter 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Trust is a choice, brothers and sisters. I choose to trust in him. Like Abraham, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, but he chose to have faith. Faith is a choice. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This morning as we go to prayer, I want to pray for all of our seniors. Many of our seniors are afraid. And beloved, you don't need to be afraid. God has promised to give you a long life and a life worth living. So let's pray for our seniors and let's pray for the frontliners today. Father, in Jesus' name we come to you. Lord, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for all of your precious promises. And we're so grateful that you are a God who's faithful to keep all of your promises. Not one good word of the Lord will ever fall to the ground. Father, we are grateful for all that you have done for us and all that you continue to do. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, let fear be broken off of every family. Let fear of this pestilence thing be broken off of every household. Let every senior father have faith just flow within their hearts. For some, Lord, that's a struggle. Like the father with his son, I choose to believe. Help me with my unbelief. Father, help them. For some, just drop a little gift of faith within their hearts right now and let them understand your great love and your mercy for them. And Father, in Jesus' name, I lift you all of our frontliners. Father, I thank you that your angels guard them in all their ways. That, Father, you will keep them safe and you will keep them protected. Whatever they see, whatever they go through, whoever walks up and coughs on them, Lord, it shall not come near them. That virus shall die. Those droplets shall die in the air. They cannot permeate the presence of God upon their lives. I thank you for it, Father. And, Lord, again, for the frontliners working in the hospitals, restore their souls. Oh, Father, restore their souls. 
Lord, they've seen the things of nightmares. Restore their souls in Jesus' name. I pray for all of our families, Lord, for provision. Lord, that your gracious hand would bring sales. Lord, they've got stuff they're selling everywhere. Oh, Father, let the favor of God and the favor of man rest upon them. Let their sales go up, and Father, good payments in the name of Jesus. The Father, there will be plenty of food on the table, and every child will go to bed with a full belly. I thank you for it, Father. And Lord, those that are going to work every day, they have a tremendous need of transportation. We thank you that the jeepneys are going to begin to operate again. But Lord, I pray for every family to have their own transportation, that they don't need to worry about who they're with or what they're going to come around or who Lolo or Lola is going to get sitting next to on a jeep. Pray for every family, a good vehicle at a cheap price. In these days, Father, let the wealth of the wicked transfer to the righteous. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
I want to remind all of you of our drive-in services. We're going to be a few more weeks in general quarantine, so the drive-in services are still operational. Now, those of you that are seniors or those of you that have medical conditions, may I please encourage you already to just move into the Saturday drive-in service. That's going to be parang semi-permanent. Now, not eternal, but semi-permanent, okay? There'll be a day that this won't be necessary. But in the meantime, every Saturday morning, we'll have the go truck set up in the parking lot at South Campus. We start right at 7.30, so you got to get there early, all right? You got to get there early. And remember, you can't get out of the car. Nobody's allowed out of their cars. Okay, this is a, did I say you can't get out of your car? Are you sure? Did you hear me? You can't get out of your car. We had a few people try to get out of their cars last week. You've got to stay in your car. So we keep the service a little shorter, hour to an hour and 10 minutes. Now, Sunday, 7.30 and 9.30, we have two more services. These will be replaced by the main services when we get reopened. But again, if you want to come to these services, please contact your district pastor or your campus pastor and make sure they reserve your slot. We only have about 200 places. And when you reserve a slot, please make sure you use it. Because when it's full, we tell other people no. So please make sure you use your slot. All right, we've got a great testimony for you now. Hi, COP. We are the Hermel family of District 9, Paranaque. We're here to testify the goodness of God. Uh, before the lockdown, I was able to sell the Hermel scanner unexpectedly because this is not my line of business. I'm into real estate. But God is faithful to us. Even during this pandemic, He always provides for us. And as for me, I have a condo unit that uh, we rent out as an Airbnb and uh, we thought that because of this quarantine, uh, we will not have income. But because of the goodness of God, uh, my uh, Airbnb is fully booked until May. And uh, my client is uh, talk to me about uh, when it's, whenever he's in town, he wants to book in my place. And thanks, God. That's a blessing for us. As for me, uh, I work as a software engineer in a company in BGC. And I'm praising God because uh, our management gave us very flexible work arrangements. They allowed us to work from home. And I continue to income. Ko. I never have to worry about where my salary uh, is coming from because it arrives when I expect it to. And, and praise God ko, because uh, we don't have to worry we are provided for, and God is truly a faithful God. And we'd like to share with you this verse from Psalm 5, verse 12. It says here, For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. That's all, COP. Thank you so much, Paul, and God bless. Thank you, and God bless. Amen. It's so good to hear what God is doing in the lives of our people. All right, let's get into the New Testament with this new way of doing things. Now, many of you have sent me in suggestions for apps. Uh, right now, I've just cut and paste a section of the ESV into my OneNote file. And you'll notice along one side, I have all the weeks because this is how I study every day. All right. But at the same time, there are other apps that you've been suggesting. Let me give you my favorite. My favorite digital Bible functioning inside of an of a iPad Pro is the ESV digital Bible and you put it into an app called Notebook and it works very beautifully there. Everything, all of the hyperlinks, everything is just fantastic. Unfortunately, it doesn't work with our recording. So what I'm doing right now is copy paste into OneNote 
and we just show you the big OneNote file. Though ESV Digital Bible will work in a, an app called XODO, but I'm still playing with that a little bit. So I'll just stick with what I know right now, which is OneNote. Chapter 19, verse 1. At about that time, now what, when you see words like this, you need to always highlight them. Why is that time important? Well, remember, Paul has just sent his chief lieutenants, so to speak, his closest companion, ahead of him into Macedonia. So basically, his, his right arm and his left arm is gone. And then there arose no little disturbance. In other words, we have a big fight. No little disturbance concerning the way. Now, when we talk about the way, we're basically talking about Christianity. So remember, when we talk about the way, we're not talking about a doctrine. We're not talking about a peculiarity of doctrine. We're basically talking about salvation by faith. All right? So this whole concept of a personal relationship with God. All of this, this is the way, access to God. Now, it begins to describe this fight for us. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. All right, so you have here what I would call the, um, the head of a guild, or the head of like a union. This is a guy who brought business to a lot of guys who did day work making these shrines of Artemis. Now, Artemis, that was one of the main temples there in Ephesus at that time. As people came through on tourism, they would buy these parang souvenirs or pasalubon. They gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know this from our business, we have our wealth. All right, so the source of the fight is about money. Men, you know that from this business, this business, this making silver shrines of Artemis, we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made by hands are not gods. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great god of Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be disposed from her magnificent she whom all of Asia and the world worship. All right, now, let's just break this down a little bit. Now, I want you to notice these guys, it's all about money. This is their business, all right? Glorifying this demon goddess and her temple. Now, I want you to notice this is what I would call the effect of revival. Now, notice, it says, hey, all almost, in almost all of Asia. Remember, the word of God had been preached to every Jew and Greek in all of Asia. We read that to you yesterday. This is the, the, uh, the proliferation of the gospel that occurs in revival, the saturation that occurs in revival, and it has an effect. Now, revival has an effect on business. If you go back and you study revival history, you see that Clubs close, the bars close, that honky-tonks close, that prostitution places close, that, that things that earn their income from sin close. 
And people get really mad about this because, again, notice, it is from this we get our wealth. So always understand, true revival will have as its opposition people who earn their income from sin. Let me say that again. True revival will have as its opposition those who get their income from sin. Paul and the Christians of that day did not engage the the culture. They just came out and lived different. So now there's one other thing I want you to notice here. This man thinks, you know, Artemis may be counted as nothing. She may even be deposed from her magnificence. Well, you know what? If she's a god, why do you have to protect her? Ah. (laughs) She whom all Asia and the world worships. Well, no. This is called drumming up support because I want to make more money. I'm glorifying this demon god because this is the source of my wealth. I'm glorifying this sin because this is the source of my wealth. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged. Now, now who was enraged? The workmen in similar trades. So when they heard this, we're talking about the workmen of similar trades, everybody who made their money on this. When they heard this, they were enraged, these people who made their money out of this business, and were crying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So now we get a little nationalistic. Now it's not just a, a worship thing. It is, this is who we are, okay? You always got to be careful when people start bringing up this nationalism thing. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater. Now, believe it or not, that theater is still there today. One day, I would love to take a group from our church and do what I would call the footsteps of Paul. Right now, we just go to Israel every year, but one day I'd like to take and just do a footsteps of Paul and do Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and see all these things we we study about in the book of Acts. They rushed into the theater and are still there today, dragging with them Gaius and Articus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So again, notice they're talking about we are Ephesians. These people are Macedonians. They are using prejudice to further their argument. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Ajarchs, now this is basically what you would call a governmental leader, who were friends of his, these are people who'd gotten saved, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So I want you to notice with Paul, Paul had no people power. He did not want his friends to face his fight. Paul was a man who fought his own battles. Now, now this is something that you just got to get a hold of with Paul. Paul was a man who fought his own battles. He's been stoned and left for dead. I mean, he's been beaten with rods. He's been... Paul has been through it. Paul is not a man who wants somebody else to fight his battles. Paul said, no, no, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to face this mob. I I can't leave Gaius and Aristarchus in there. They're Macedonians. I will go in and face this mob. And his friends would not allow him in. Now, going back to the theater. Now, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had gathered together. Now, this is the characteristics of a mob. 
when people get all stirred up, when somebody has stirred up the emotions of a mob, everybody's there and everybody's angry and everybody's emotional and they're saying all kinds of things, but they're all in confusion. And then you've got a whole other group, most of them, who don't even know why they've come together. Now, forgive me, I've been around mobs all my life. I've been through them in Flint, Michigan. I've been through them in Detroit. I've been through them here in our own beloved nation. It's amazing how mobs are not, uh, mobs are not a thing of unity. Mobs are a thing of total, unmitigated confusion and chaos. So mobs are chaos. Mobs are confusion. And mobs are ignorance. And really, for most they're there in ignorance. Young people, this is why I've always taught you to stay out of rallies and demonstrations. Because usually simple people like me and you, who don't even know why we're there, we don't know how to respond and we're the ones that get hurt. This is the characteristics of a mob. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. Now what in the world were the Jews doing there, okay? The Jews put forward somebody. They were there fighting the Jews. And Alexander, motioned with his hand, wanted to make a defense before the crowd. But when they recognized he was a Jew, remember, these people say we are Ephesians, nationalism. But when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours, they cried out in one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine a chant for two hours? <laughs> a chant for two hours. And this guy had nothing to do with what Paul was doing. These people hated Paul. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper? Now, see, these different cities had temples that they were the keepers of. That the city of Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. So probably we have a meteor here, okay? We probably have a meteor that has fallen from the sky and it became part of the traditions and legends of, of the great Artemis, all right? So these people felt that they had been entrusted to keep this temple and the stone that had fallen from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. All right, so here we have the town clerk. Okay, this is a government official who stands up and says, listen, guys, it's time to calm down here. These things cannot be denied. You should, you ought to be quiet. And number two, you should do nothing rash. Now, you have to understand that under the Roman law, there was, there were government officials in every city. But if the, if the people of that city got out of control, these men would lose their jobs and the Roman military would step in and take control. Okay, again, you're dealing with a conquered nation under the Roman Empire. He continues in verse 37, For you have brought these men who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Okay. Now we get to truth. Now there's something here that you just need to get a hold of. Paul and the church of Ephesus did not fight with the demon gods. Paul did not stand up every week and preach against Artemis. 
Paul did not open his Bible and say, all right, my series today shall be anti-Artemis number 362, sub point five. That's not Paul. Paul preached Christ. Now, I want you to notice that this was so strong that even unsaved people recognize these Christian people here have done nothing sacrilegious. They haven't fought Artemis, and they haven't blasphemed Artemis. Now, sometimes as Christians, we want to go around and fight everything that we don't like. You know, that's not going to get anything done. But what gets something done is you preach Jesus. So I keep telling young pastors, stay on message. Paul knew how to stay on message. And by staying on message in this city with this demon temple that people from all over the world came to see and the stone that fell from the sky and buy their trinkets to take home as Pasolubon, the silver shrines of Artemis. Paul said, no, we're not, we're not here to fight with this. Just ignore it. Let's preach Christ. I like that. Then he's very clever. He says, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen he said, I know who started this fight. If they have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring their charges against one another. In other words, he said, listen, if, if they've really got something to say, if Paul has really cost them money, then bring their charges. But if you seek anything further, it should be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in a danger of being charged with rioting today. Now notice if we, the town clerk recognizes, he's from Ephesus. The Romans will take over this thing. We are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Notice, no cause. So characteristics of a mob, no cause. Ah, <laughs> they make up a cause, but there is no real cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he has said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, I would have enjoyed watching all these people just, <laughs> they're screaming and shouting for two hours, and another walking out very quietly because a voice of reason has stepped in. Beautiful, beautiful truth. Now let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. I saw the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on Him are radiant, they'll never be ashamed, they'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me, and saved me from my enemies. The Son of God surrounds His saints. He will deliver them.
First Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1. 
After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. So notice there's the difference between defeat and subdue. In war, you have to do both. And he took Gath and his villages out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab, and the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, king of Zeboth Hamath, as he went up to his monument at the river Euphrates. So as he went up to worship at this monument, David defeated him. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but he left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. All right, we've got the Syrians that are involved. We've got this Hadadezer, the king of Zobah. And now verse 5, or verse 6. And David put put garrisons in Syria of Damascus. And the Syrians became servants of David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. All right, now, a couple of things I want you to notice here. In these ancient military battles, there is defeat, there is subdue, there is tribute that is brought and paid, but then there's also occupy. And David did different things at different times. He also, if you'll notice, hamstrung the horses, so he reduced military capability. Now, now this is all part of being a good soldier in David's day. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So now we deal with the source of victory. Victory is a gift of God. Now that's something each one of you needs to get a hold of. Victory is not an entitlement. Victory is a gift. God gave David victory. Now, again, there are many Christians that look at victory and being victorious as as an entitlement. But you have to understand, it's a gift of grace, just like everything else. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Tibhath and from Kun, cities of Hadadezer, David took a large amount of bronze. And with it, Solomon made the bronze sea and the pillars, and the vessels of bronze. So I want you to begin to notice something here. David did not enrich himself. David built God's house. So as he conquered these nations and took his booty, took his spoils of war, so to speak, This gold and this bronze was all taken to build the house of God. When Thol, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadazezer, king of Zobah, he sent his son Hadoram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had often been at war with Thol, and he sent all sorts of articles of gold, silver, and bronze. These also David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold he had carried off from all the nations, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and Amalek. Now notice, again, David did not enrich himself. He dedicated all of this to the house of God to build a beautiful house of God. 
Now, the other thing I want you to notice, this guy named Tov, he becomes David's friend when David conquers his enemy. <laughs> so you have to understand, sometimes victory brings you new friends. So let's just make that note here. Victory brings new friends. And Abishah, the son of Zeruel, killed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. There's this Occupy that we've been talking about earlier. He put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Now, again, the same principle, victory is a gift of God, and the same principle, Occupy. Now, oftentimes what you'll see me do is I say, all right, we have a principle up here of occupy in verse 6. So I go down and I put verse 6 next to verse 13, and I come to verse 6, and I put verse 13 next to it. And also the same thing, the Lord gave victory. I'll put verse 6 next to it, and I'll put verse 13 next to verse 6. Common theme that begins. So David reigned in all Israel and administered justice and equity to all people. Now here's good leadership. Good leadership. David reigned. He administered justice and equity to all his people. So good leadership, no favoritism, equality to all his people. It didn't matter what tribe they were from. There was no tribalism in David. There was no regionalism in David's heart. He gave equity and justice to all his people. This is good leadership, treating everybody the same. Now, brothers and sisters, you, you've got to get that into your insides because in this world we live in today about homogeneous churches and tribalism and finding your tribe and, and forgive me, racial stuff coming up. You know, one of our, our families just contacted me the other day. They were horribly insulted in a, in a park in the western United States. I won't say where. Uh, the daughter was out exercising and a lady came up and just started yelling at her because she was Pinoy. And now, folks, in this world where prejudice and ethnicity and, and tribalism, I mean, please forgive me, that good leadership is what David did. Everybody got the same justice. Everybody was treated equally. And Joab, the son of Zeruah, was over the army. And Jehoshaphat, son of Elihud, was recorder. So all right, we have the head of an army, and we have a recorder. A recorder is a guy who just took notes on everything that was going on. And Zadok, the son of Ahitab, and Ahimelech, the son of Abathar, were priests. And Shavshat was secretary. And Benaiah, the son of Joadiah, was over the Karaites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were the chief officials in the service of the king. Now, there's several things I want you to notice here. Oftentimes we see a listing of the, let's call it the, the, the top echelon of David's leaders. That included the head of the army, person who recorded everything, kept, kept good records of everything. Spiritual leadership was very much of David's inner circle. Some of you businessmen, forgive me, you need spiritual leadership in your inner circle. The secretary, and then David's sons were chief officials. Now, businessmen, listen to me about this. Family must be allowed 
to be trained and to have authority and to excel. Now, many of you, you, you keep your children down. David did not. David let his sons stand at his side as his chief officials. Some of you businessmen, with your sons and daughters, forgive me, you still treat them like they're 15 years old. You can't treat them like that the rest of your life. I know, you know, every mistake they ever made. But you know what? They have to grow and change too. You made a lot of mistakes when you were that age too. You need to get your sons and daughters at your side. Don't just promote them because they're your kids, but you promote them because they've been allowed to be trained and you give them authority and you allow them to excel. You need to get your kids at your side. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now after this, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, died and his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal kindly with Hanun, the son of Nahash. Why? For his father had dealt kindly with me. Remember the principle in Proverbs that you are to be kind to your father's friends or to the, the sons of your fathers. In other words, friendship, and if we had time, I would go look that up in Proverbs and write the verse down in here. Friendship goes two generations. When a father has been kind to you, you are kind to the children. And this was David's heart. So David sent messengers to console him concerning his father. All right, this was their purpose, was to console them. And David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, to Hanun, to console him. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not his servants come to you to search and overthrow and to spy out the land? Now, you know what? There are, there are going to be people who will never believe good hearts. Now, the reason people don't believe good hearts is because they have bad hearts. Because this is what they would do. See, good men often get misinterpreted for their good actions. They're trying to do something good, but they are interpreted through the perceptions, hearts, and attitudes of other people. So Hunan took David's servants and shaved them and cut off their garments in the middle at the hips and sent them away, and they departed. And when David was told concerning the men, he sent messengers to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. They'd been humiliated. These were great men. And David said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. Now, Jericho is right at the base of the mountain. Go up to the top of the mountain and you've got Jerusalem. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David. Now, here was a war that never needed to take place. Here was a battle that never needed to happen. These guys could have been friends. But when the Ammonites saw they had become a stench to David, Hanun, and the Ammonites sent 1,000 talents of silver to hire chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Aram, Maach, and from Zobah. They hired 32,000 chariots and the king of Maach with his army, who came and encamped before Medeba, and the Ammonites were mustered from their cities and came to battle. All right, you want to fight? All right, when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Now, he didn't send everybody. He just sent the army of the mighty men, okay? This is just a portion 
of David's military. He sent his greatest warriors, but he didn't send everybody. And the Ammonites came up and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city, and the kings who had come were by themselves in the open country. And when Joab saw the battle was set against him in both front and rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. Now, notice. Remember what we read about these mighty men. Some of them were good at taking out a thousand people by themselves. Many of them had killed 300 people in one battle by themselves. So, I mean, these are, these are your special forces, elite of the elite. The rest of the men he put in charge of Abishah, his brother, and they were arrayed against the Ammonites. So he divided his forces. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be strong. Let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Now, here's an incredible truth. Let us use our strength for the people and for the city of our God. This is a leadership heart. Let us use our strength for our people. You know, you have to decide what you're going to use your strength for. Do you use your strength for fun? Do you use your strength for sport? Or do you use your strength for the people of God? Ah. Now, th there's a truth to meditate on today. Sometimes people laugh at me and they say, Pastor, all you do is work. I'm using my strength for God's people. I've been doing that for 40 years as your pastor. And I'm not going to change now. We don't use our strength for pleasure. We use our strength for, our, for the people of God. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near before the Syrians in battle, and they fled before him. All right, so the Syrians run away. Now remember, the Syrians had been the ones, these were the hired guys, okay? And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled. So all right, we've got the, they saw that the Syrians fled. So these were the hired help, and these were the employers. <laughs> now, when the employers saw that their hired help was gone, they ran too. But when, the sincere, but when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates, with Shaphach, the commander of the army of Hadazer, at their head. All right? So the Syrians, the hired help, went back and said, we need help, because they knew David would be attacking them next, because they came just as a paid thing, and David would punish them for this. And it was told David he gathered all Israel together. Now, we're not just dealing with the army of mighty men. Now we're dealing with all Israel. He brings out the whole army. And crossed the Jordan and came to them and drew up his forces against them. And when David set the battle in array against the Syrians, they fought with him. When the Syrians fled before Israel, David killed of the Assyrians 7,000 chariots, 40,000 soldiers, and put to death also Shaphach, the commander of their army. And when the servants of Hadazer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made 
peace with David and became subject to them. So the Syrians were not willing to save the Ammonites anymore. They learned their lesson. But you know what? This was a war that never needed to take place. All of these people dying never needed to happen, except a leader listened to the wrong people. A leader listened to someone who was corrupt and decided that David was also corrupt. Chapter 20, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go to battle, David let out, or excuse me, Joab let out the army and ravaged the country of the Ammonites and came and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And Joab struck down Rabbah and overthrew it. Now again, why was David not there? I can see why David is not here. He sent Joab. Now, notice, he sent Joab. Joab led the army. Now, I can understand this was a smaller group. David sent out a small group of his best warriors. When it came for the big battle, David gathered and David fought. Now, it's springtime. King is supposed to go to battle. He stays home. Joab leads the army. Verse 2, and Joah and David took the crown of their king from his head, and he found that it weighed a talent of gold, and it was a precious stone. And it was placed on David's head, and he brought all the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and axes. And thus David did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. And after there arose a war with the Philistines at Gezer, then Sebechai, the Hushite, struck down Sepai, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And the Philistines were subdued. And again there was war with the Philistines. And Elhanan, the son of Jaar, struck down Lamni, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, whose shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's dream. And there was a war at Gath, and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. He was also descended from the giants. But when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, struck him down. These were the descendant. These were descended from the giants of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now, there's always... More giants. <laughs> Every generation has giants to kill. David killed the giant of his generation. These men had to kill the giants of the next generation. Young men, young women, listen to me. There are giants. There are spiritual giants that need to be slain. There are great things that need to be done. There are great battles that need to be fought. You can't just look and go, well, this great man did this. No, God has great things for you to do. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.